0: G'day, it's Parky here with the Cancel star Watch podcast. And today, the special one. First solo for Luke and pleasant memories for Sam and I as we recall our own first solo experiences. Plus, as part of our Cancel star Watch retro salute, we look at the first ever solo flight in Australia at Digger's Rest in Victoria. All this and more today on the Cancel star Watch podcast. Thanks for joining us. What's the Cancel Sail podcast all about? Well, it's where three pilots from three different generations, 22 years apart, gather every two weeks to pursue the spirit of flight. Sam's our baby boomer pilot who first flew in the early 70s and safely logged five decades worth of military, police, rescue and instructional time. Parky, that's me, is our Gen X pilot and I began flying in the early 90s. I've got a passion for safety management along with 20 years of military, rescue and instructional time and of course there's our new gen y pilot in training luke who just kicked off his flying career by signing up for pilot training at a local flight school three different generations of pilots with three very different generational perspectives talk through the joys and challenges of flight as luke progresses through pilot training and beyond from the first spark of aviation curiosity to going solo and onwards to a professional career, Sam, Parkey and Luke passionately pursue the spirit of flight within the now highly technical experience of modern day aviation. As you listen, you'll get a couchside behind the scenes perspective into the training, the knowledge and the attitude it takes for a pilot to finish a flight and radio into air traffic control, cancel Sailwatch. Hope you enjoy our conversation and if you reckon it's worth it, please rate and comment. Also, why not visit the CancelSailWatch.com website for additional content such as pictures, memorabilia, safety articles to help you cancel sailage. And now, on with today's conversation. So, first solo, did a little bit of research, looked into what I thought would be the first solo flight in Australia, which by default is (laughs) the first powered, controlled flight. Nice. Won't embarrass you with a history lesson because I hadn't actually forgotten this myself. <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to read as a little bit of a segue into what we're going to talk about with Luke's first solo. Uh, A little bit of an excerpt here from the Museum of Victoria. There's a little bit of controversy, so they have to sort of caveat it by saying not just the first powered flight but the first controlled flight because actually there was a flight before this one, but it wasn't very controlled. In fact, it ended up up ending in a field. Controlled seems like fairly subjective (laughs) flight. Well, controlled enough to do a circuit like you did in your solo. (laughs) Didn't
1: didn't have anything to do with throwing somebody off a building. Do
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not this time. So 100 years ago, uh, two pioneering aviators were camped in a windswept paddock at Digger's Rest, 30 kilometres north of Melbourne, vying for the record of being the first person to achieve a controlled powered flight in Australia. Ralph Coningsby Banks was the first to take to the air on the 1st of March and an imported Wright Model A flyer. He had barely covered 300 metres at a height of less than five metres, when a sudden wind gust forced the plane into a dive, ending with a heavy landing that somersaulted the plane. Banks was thrown clear and escaped with only minor injuries, but was <laughs> badly shaken while the plane was so damaged it took weeks to repair. Remembering at least it was canvas wood and wood, yeah. <laughs> no instrumentation, very, very underpowered engines, so mm. little bits of wind and all that kind of stuff. Turbulence they're still experimenting with, still getting used to. His competitor was the Hungarian-born American showman and escapologist Eric Weiss, anyone know who he is?
2: Mm.
0: Harry Houdini, yeah. who had personally imported a French-built Voisin biplane with the aim of achieving the first flight in Australia. After several early attempts were frustrated by strong winds, Houdini finally took off shortly after 8 a.m. on Friday, 18th of March, and flew a full circle of the paddock, successfully <laughs> powered and controlled, before landing less than a minute later two further flights followed the same day lasting up to three and a quarter minutes in duration and reaching a height of 30 meters ever the self-publicist houdini ensured that a reporter from the argus and a photographer were present to record the event and if you go to the website you can actually see the video of this he's so there's actually uh-huh. video yeah pretty cool <laughs> uh black and white not dolby sound unfortunately no. <laughs> and had uh, had nine spectators including ralph banks sign a witness statement because at this point everything's heavily uh, contentious around who's doing what first between the french and the americans not that the french and americans hate each other or anything but even back then they were in a you know steep kind of competition so he wanted these witness statements further successful flights by houdini followed over the next three days culminating in a flight lasting seven minutes and 37 seconds that covered almost six miles so i'm not quite sure whether That would count for his cross-country hours. You've got to start getting your cross-country hours. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Houdini was awarded a trophy by the Aerial League of Australia, recognising his flight of 18th of March 1910 as the first successful controlled flight by powered aircraft in Australia. The true honour for the first powered flight in Australia, notice powered, not powered and controlled, Mm. however, probably goes to Captain Colin DeFreeze, who on 9th of December 1909 made a flight at Victoria Park Racecourse in Sydney using the same right flyer that Banks later used and crashed at Digger's Rest. So Luke, first solo, a little bit different to that first solo. Yeah. But nonetheless, pretty exciting
2: for you. Was that a little bit early? It was 8.2 hours. Okay. In all honesty, I had been flying with my dad a couple of times over the last, you know, how many years, five years. So I have been in an aircraft for more than 8.2 hours. And you're also
0: on that Cancel so Watch podcast, which gives you a clear leg up. At whatever <laughs> that's, everyone That's else at, least, say
2: at least an extra 10 hours right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's right. But yeah, no, it was excellent. I kind of had a bit of a hint that it was probably going to be the the lesson that I did my solo in. So that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't how, did, really, how was the hint? How did that come across? Well, it was kind of the previous lesson. He was like, oh, my instructor was like, have you done your pre-solo test? I was like, "No, have you got your medical? Yes, do your pre-solo test before your next lesson." <laughs> so that was a bit of a bit of a hint, but mm. um, that that's pretty good though, because that is relatively early, so yeah. I know you're probably being modest, but that's a that's a good effort, mate. So well done. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. I was pretty happy with it. Mm. It turned out to be probably one of the the better landings I've ever done, which was good. It's probably just because I was so like concentrated and fixated on it more than more than usual but um yeah no we just kind of jumped up for we did two circuits um and we are coming in for a touch and go and we I put it down and he was like oh, i'll make this one a full stop i'm like okay here we go oh, <laughs> we've cool. only been up here for like it's a perfect day we've only yeah. done two circuits so yeah This will be it. Yeah. So just describe, I guess, what's going through your mind
0: as you taxi in, and you know you've got the hint. You know you're going to drop your instructor off and you're about to become airborne by yourself. Yeah. First time ever.
2: It was like, it was really exciting. And I know a lot of people feel super nervous, but I just kind of thought to myself, I literally just did this without him Mm. touching any of the controls. So... It shouldn't be any mm. different this next time around. So I felt, you know, fairly confident. It was a really clear day. So when I say I've gone solo, I can fly solo on a nice day in mm. a circle. I mean, mm. it might have been a bit different had the weather, <laughs> weather been a bit yeah. higher. But, yeah, no, I felt good about it. I felt like I was going to be in control the whole mm. time. I didn't, didn't feel scared. Or Did your instructor look like scared that? or nervous? As no, like. <laughs> no. Nah. In all honesty, if I'd have already done my pre-solo test, he was going to let me go the lesson before. So I thought, I think he thought I was pretty ready to... Ready to do it. Nice. All right, so yeah, taxi out, line up. I'll start with this. So it was actually a fairly poetic first solo. My dream job, the long-term goal, is to fly for Royal Flying Doctors. And as I'm taxiing down for runway 29, sitting there right outside the terminals, the RFDS PC-12. So I was like, oh, this is like the first step on the way to Aww, flying nice. that thing, which was like really yeah. awesome. There's a, another bit that follows on from that, which I'll get to in a sec. Yeah. One of the things I thought was a bit different it was the first time I went to take off without previously having done a run-up because mm-hmm. he was just like, don't worry about the run-up because we've been flying it. You don't need to do all those checks, just go on and mm-hmm. do it all. But there's certain things that you look for in the run-up, like the carb heat being mm-hmm. cold and mm-hmm. um, flap set, trim set to neutral, all that kind of stuff, which I wasn't used to doing right at the, the entrance to the runway so when I got there instead of just doing the whole turn the lights on turn the transponder on and look for traffic I was like oh I've actually got to make sure I do all those other things that I should have done in the run-up as well so that was probably the first little oh okay I'm gonna to need to make a little bit of a workflow for this yeah yeah <laughs> uh, so that was that kind of yeah. the first difference I noticed yeah, yeah cool and then so I entered and backtracked in onto um 29 and heard that there was some traffic coming in from the south southeast I mm-hmm. think 10 nautical miles away which was far enough away mm. to not worry about just at that moment. So I called uh, rolling on two nine, and then just did all my kind of checks and stuff like that. And well before I'd ever taken off for in terms of like length of the runway, that thing just got in the air so quick <laughs> <laughs> compared to what I was used to. It's because it was like a hundred kilos. Yeah, it order. was hundred yeah. kilos lighter, and I was kind of expecting it because I was I've read a couple of other people's mm. you know first solo, mm. and they're like, man, the rate of climb is awesome. I'm like, okay, yeah, the rate of climb be pretty good I guess but it took off quickly mm. like I was already at best rate of climb speed pretty much straight out of rotating like I rotated yeah. at 55 and by the time I got it up on the up to where the cowling was on the horizon I was already at best rate of climb I'm like oh okay well we're doing this and then I was almost at pattern altitude by the end of upwind <laughs> so that was really really cool and I also noticed I'm not sure if the wind just or the turbulence kind of yeah. changed a little bit but it seemed mm. to get bumped around a bit more so I'm not sure yeah if okay that's just know, the wind mm. or if it actually is Mm. A bit of a change in inertia there, not being able to punch through the the buffets. Well, I guess the better you get at it, the more experience you get at it. It
0: really will be a case of your instructor just becoming baggage extra weight. (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was pretty cool. Then I got onto downwind and I hadn't actually done too much circuit work with Mm. other people in the pattern before. Luckily on the two circuits beforehand, we had a helicopter. Yeah. um, Probably the one I can hear in the background right now. It's actually,
0: (laughs) it's even more poetic because you're getting to talk about first solo where you saw the flying doctor's aircraft which is obviously a dream job, but it might also yeah. be with CareFord or one yeah, other yeah, yeah. uh, organisation, which you can hear the helicopter flying <laughs> yeah, about right yeah. now. So it's just dripping with um, poetic irony.
2: It was so good. And so that um, the rescue helicopter took off from the hospital in the previous mm. one, so I got to, you know. Did he just, make a call? Sorry? Did, did they make a call? Yeah, they made oh, cool. a yeah, yeah, so so call. Them, that was man. good of them. <laughs> um, so luckily, like pr- exactly prior to doing my first solo, I'd had a bit mm. of immediate experience of, you know, making yeah. sure I Keep um, my distance and, you know, extending Mm. downwind and doing a couple of other things to ensure that you're at a safe distance between other aircraft. So that was cool. Anyway, I heard over the radio that old mate who was inbound was Mm. just coming in over Wellcamp, which Mm. I know is quite quite close. So I'm like, oh, okay. But it just tell him I'm on downwind and I just mm. thought like even though I hadn't ever done that before previously yeah. it just seemed to come kind of naturally maybe because I've been watching too many YouTube videos yeah, or yeah. something where I'm like oh yeah just on downwind he's like oh yep yeah, thanks mm. for that I'm like cool I'm being a real pilot <laughs>
1: <laughs> how good is it that? yeah um, that's
2: great and then I was actually really happy with the turn on base mm-hmm. and final so there's two kind of uh, altitudes you have to hit or yeah. you're expected yeah. to hit there's a turn to final start that at two thousand. 700 and you want to be at 2600 yeah so at the
0: essentially gates that you're flying through yeah yeah. yeah yeah and
2: I don't think I've ever nailed those before yeah in any of my with my instructor there mm. the first time I don't have them there like almost flawlessly start of the turn at 2700 pulled out exactly 2600 with exactly 500 feet per minute descent and everything lined up perfect airspeed for approach I'm like oh <laughs> man I can't do it like this when the instructions here we'll have to
1: <laughs> you, would have, you would have told him though no when you got down. Uh, it d- didn't even cross my. We're going to double because, check yeah. that on that
0: YouTube video. Yeah, Luke. you'll have to have a look. Luke keeps a little private record for us to check, so we can. Well, this one's human. public
2: because there's no instructors oh, in this one. Public, so oh, yeah, okay, nice. We'll okay.
0: definitely double check then. Sorry, what was again? Oh, yeah. Twenty-seven hundred. What? It was twenty-seven hundred turning into final plus or minus zero, or plus or minus.
2: It was pretty much plus or minus zero. <laughs> <my record>. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I was surprised. Yeah, I'll have to. You know, oh, the video will be the ref. We'll, cool. see, we'll see how. Go nice, but uh, so I came in and did what I think is a pretty good, pretty good landing. Probably one of the better ones I've done, which was (laughs) just a really nice kind of top off to the whole experience. And then um, I managed to slow it down enough to get off at the very first. little taxiway also there and not the up guy- on one wheel or anything no either. no uh, it was good. fine it was good no it slowed down enough yeah um, and so anyway then I went back over and um, just put it in front of the darling downs, aero club shed there and got out and so this is the other cool yeah. poetic bit is as, yeah. as I got out there's a guy there when I was 16 so mm. 10 years ago mm. I did my very first flight in a CT4 yeah. a yellow CT4 um, and I got out and the guy who gave me my very first lesson and the yeah. CT4 had just pulled up at the fueling station right behind me. Oh, wow. So was that was, Matt? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was cool. yeah Matt Henley. Awesome. Yeah. So on that kind of, on the one solo experience I had, well, wow. that's where I'm going now After yeah. FDS. This is where I am right yeah. now, my first solo. And 10 years ago, mm. that was my very first, yeah. first thing there. So the whole thing was just yeah. like, oh, you couldn't, couldn't no, even write that's that. Some, that's unique and special
0: <laughs> and a real blessing, particularly because, like we've talked about so many times, we do not seeing the machine uh, just for the machine's sake we're seeing yeah. it as a tool or something mm. to serve and to, you know help people Which is mm. exactly what you want to do. So just all those things I think are very poignant and special mm. for you. Yeah. that's really cool So first solo for you Sam in what 1972 if memory yeah. serves. Yeah. yeah, talk to us about your first solo flight yeah.
1: Well, it's it's interesting. It really took me back then because I was in a kind of a similar aircraft of Cherokee 140 and, uh, and I, I really noticed the difference Without the instructor in there, mm. but I had enough uh, spare capacity to compensate and all that sort of thing. And mm. and, uh, and as you said, leap, you leap up into the air and you're, <laughs> where, you where where was it?
0: Where was it? Point then? Cook. Point Cook. Yeah. Point okay. Cook,
1: under similar conditions, very yep. very very nice day. Yeah. But in uh, at that time, he he had briefed me to do three three mm. circuits, probably because mm. he's a, mm. a military uh, instructor. That's yeah. what they did in the military. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I actually did three and and was was really quite amazing to see that extra mm. performance yeah. of a touch and yeah, go <laughs> it was really great if I might leap forward a bit in the military down at point cook when they sent the guys solo the instructors would sit in what they called the uh, the pie van or the ice cream van oh, yeah. was towed onto the, the threshold and the instructors would sit in there and they would have uh, access to the tower frequency and they could mm. talk to the students as well as mm. the mm. the um, mm. the uh, tower and um, the The story goes that uh, it actually happened when when I was on course, and this was a this was an army course, but one of the parallel air force courses. This guy was being sent, and you know you're going mm. solo because same same yeah. procedure you do pre solo uh, check and that sort of thing. And so you know you're going solo, and this uh, guy got out and they. He parked the windshield beside the pie van so the instructor wouldn't have to walk too far. And so pats him on the back. Says, "Righto, sunshine, off you go three circuits." <laughs> so the the guy lines up and roars off. When he got to a base, he calls, uh, "Base full stop." <laughs> so the the instructor gets on the on the thing. He says. Oh, he 2-6. <laughs> touch and go. This is so easy. Touch and go. go. Yeah. Oh, okay. So touch and go. runs he go and he comes around to base and he says, Full stop. Full stop. <laughs> and he orders him around again, comes yeah, around, yeah. another nice landing and he taxis oh, yeah. up there. And the instructor kind of goes across to the aircraft, slides back the canopy and starts giving him a mouthful, I briefed you to go round three circuits. Yeah. And he said, but on the first circuit, I had a firelight, <laughs> and he said I didn't have any symptoms, so <laughs> I thought. It, but I thought it'd be better if I landed.
2: Mm. <laughs> oh, good.
0: So, well, he was sort of listening to his instructor, I suppose, <laughs> yeah. doing what he was told to do. being
2: a pilot in command? Though? I wonder what would have happened if
0: there was uh, smoke and fumes and yeah. flames, I wonder if we still would have gone <laughs> around. Well, actually now at Oki, what they do is they put the instructors up in the tower and yeah, they can jump in on the radio there as well mm. if they need to when they when all the trainees first go helicopter solo. So my first solo was at Tamworth and in fact, it was at a little town called Corindy because they would send us out there, do our pre-solo check and- I was flying with my instructor who i'll just refer to by the initials bg at that time had as sam you probably remember the 10 go around criteria so if you didn't meet these 10 criteria such as not lined up on final by 500 forward or lots of mm-hmm. s turns then you're supposed to go around you weren't mm-hmm. supposed to land bg sent me up solo and dutifully lined up on the runway took off in the little ct4 and as i was coming back around on base and then final i'm looking down and noticed that I must have done a little bit of an S-turn and I could see my instructor, who was a little bit bigger than most guys, (laughs) particularly around the middle in this bright orange suit. And And I don't know why. I mean, I had the beautiful area around Corindai to look at the horizon, but for some reason, out of the corner of my eye, I could always see this orange suited figure down near the terminal area. (laughs) And I was sure every single time I came around that I'd either wasn't lined up by 500 feet or I'd done an S-turn or I was too fast or whatever. And so each time out of my three or four circuits, I was like, no, this isn't Right. (laughs) Around we went and then all I could hear without any proper you know formal radio calls because they had access to a radio as well yeah, as yeah. you're going to have to land sometime <laughs> 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 anyway oh. the only time I landed out of all my solo circuits was the last one oh. <laughs> that was my first experience of going solo and it was a special time though I still remember you know, getting airborne and just for a brief moment on downwind when I wasn't worrying about that orange suited figure on the ground just really enjoying it and just mm. going wow this is pretty cool and, but Sam you, you must have sent a bunch of people Solo as well. Mm. From the flip side, have you ever sent someone solo that you've been a bit nervous about? Or
1: no, I, I believe they all had the ability to do it. What made it very sensitive down there is mm. we used to divide up between mm. Point Cook and Laverton, mm. and this is a non-fixed wing. Yeah, and um, they had uh, different direction runways. As the uh, primary one at Laverton, there is only one primary one at Laverton. And you could get uh, very rapid changes of weather, and uh, that's when it became very nervous. You get a, you'd get you start off; the weather was beautiful. It was within thirty degrees of the runway, but that could hap- could change very quickly. The train needs to be under a lot of stress, mm. but they all well, they all they handled it mm. all right. They all yeah. still alive.
0: What kind of <laughs> what kind of things were you looking for, like in your mind? You know, what was the threshold to go, yep, we can send this guy or lady solo?
1: I wasn't too worried about the, the rough edges. Mm. It was more that they had the confidence to do it.
0: Yeah. What were the rough edges?
1: I wasn't too worried if they, like, you know, the 10, ten procedures, that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. You could kind of expect them to be aware mm. of it. Wouldn't be the man in, in yep. the orange flight suit. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was more concerned for... Yeah, for the for the weather conditions changing.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay, and like just something that they hadn't experienced before, like Luke was saying, you know, he's gone solo, but it was on a sky clear, fairly nice day Mm. without too much Mm. turbulence, so something. Yeah,
1: the ones that that I kind of had in the back of my mind that could come unstuck, and they didn't really announce it to you formally, was the uh, PAP students.
0: Yeah, PNG students. Yeah,
1: PNG students, because I'd previously flown with qualified Mm. guys in New Guinea. Mm. Uh, who'd been uh, aircraft captains for some time, mm. and they just kind of have a bit of a mind-out obsession of uh, they can do some really weird things at times. Mm. But all my trainees were quite good.
0: Mm. Yeah, and we might actually talk about some of those in the future, world-famous characters like Johnny Amarka, one mm. Eye Johnny, and we'll save that for a future podcast. What about helicopter solo? Was there anything different for you about going rotary ring solo, yeah, as yes. you remember uh,
1: it? Yes, there was a quite a dramatic... Uh, a shift in the aircraft attitude mm. in a Kiowa or jet ranger when you get rid of your instructor. And uh, there was a minimum weight in the jet ranger at that time mm. because of its configuration mm. and because I didn't weigh that.
2: Put some lead weights in the
1: front or something. That, uh, <laughs> yeah. On the left-hand side. Yeah, yeah. Well, ultimately they did, but they didn't kind of know about this thing first up. Mm. So your your method of getting airborne was quite different mm. And the instructor, because the aircraft was so new, they didn't even bother to mm. to tell you about this. So it was it was a big surprise, mm. more so than than uh, than a fixed wing. Mm. Uh, uh, quite a marked difference, not only in the nose mm. attitude, as it kind of rocked around mm. the skids, mm. the nose and and lateral as well. Yeah, the lateral.
0: So, where where was that? Was that at Oki? You at went helicopter Oakey. solid, yeah. so yeah. in a Jet Ranger essentially or a Kiowa. Yeah.
1: Mm. Yes, yeah, so, so the flying side of it wasn't too bad, but your your uh, your cyclic is also displaced. So you've got mm. you've been flying around for a number of hours, and you've got this mm. muscle memory for the cyclic being in a certain place at mm. a certain power setting, yeah. mm. and uh, that's quite mm. quite dramatically different. Mm.
0: So. Well, it's interesting. The Kiowas are still going strong. Well, they'll be mm. uh, retired in the next couple of years as the army's basic trainer. So, pretty amazing, really. I remember my first. Helicopter Solo was in a squirrel, an AS350 at uh, Canberra. So we flew out to a little area called Delta 442 Bravo, which was sort of just on the outskirts of Canberra, really. And we would go and uh, do a few confined areas and things like that. And I remember taking a little bit of a happy snap of myself, a original selfie back in the <laughs> early 90s, which I might even put online at some point if I don't get in trouble. And after that, we then did what was called mutuals. So we'd fly with a fellow trainee, which were awesome times, and we'd go and do cross-country nabs, fly up to you know areas around Dubbo or Cootamundra or whatever those other places were. And I remember myself and a friend who remained nameless, we took off and we noticed that uh, we'd left the pitot cover on. So we had to uh, land again, take the pitot cover off. That's how our adventure started. And then uh, promptly got ourselves lost around Goulburn or somewhere. I can't remember where. And we got ourselves so lost that we ended up looking for a little bit of a road intersection. And we came down low to look at the sign. And we worked out where the sign was pointing. And from there, we were able to (laughs) work out where we needed to go. And then we got a door lock light. Did you ever fly the squirrel, Sam? I can't remember. Not the military one. Yeah, you'd always get this door lock light. It was just a boot light, essentially, or a luggage compartment light. But you had to land because obviously that thing ripped off in flight wasn't very good. And most of the time it was just little micro switch things. So, yeah, we ended up landing near this town. I can't remember where it was and pushing it back in and <laughs> taking off again. And then I think it was my turn to navigate. And I think I got us lost on the way home. <laughs> and eventually we made ourselves, made our way home. but. By sort of making a few little mistakes and that kind of thing, we actually learnt a whole bunch, yeah. and it ended up being a really, again, a really a, a growing time and, a, mm. and a, a memorable time, which is you know yeah. why I even remember it now. But there's something about you being in command, being all care, all responsibility when you transition yeah. from being a trainee with the instructor sitting right there. And I remember feeling a little bit nervous, a little bit anxious. It's like, oh wow, now I'm mm. in command of this aircraft and we're flying around whether it was the CT4 or the Squirrel and then later on the Huey, I still remember going solo in the Huey, that was pretty cool because that was a bigger aircraft, you know, and it's like, wow, this is me and <laughs> I push and it goes where I tell it to go and you know, it's like pretty amazing. And I remember being sent solo in the Huey and same kind of thing, it must be a bell product thing, you have to have a minimum amount of weight up the front. Mm. So you'd have a water jerry strapped to the <laughs> left hand seat and you'd go and do your circuits with the nose right up here kind of thing, even with the water jerry. But yeah, amazing time I did that out at Okie so yeah that was really special. Luke were there any other kind of special memories about going solo? I told your dad and
2: yeah the way I did that in fact I think I should send it to you mm. as well so I told dad that I was probably going to be going solo at some point mm. and he didn't actually know when. One of the things he said to me was whenever you come across an important milestone in mm. your career put your logbook entry in a different colour. Yeah. Um, so I'd had all these logbook entries mm. in the in the little tomahawk and the piloting command was always one of my instructors and and the crew yeah. was self, and the very last entry in uh, in a different color was piloting command self yeah. with no one as the crew. And I sent yeah, that yeah. to dad, and he called me back almost two seconds later, and he's like, "What? When did this happen?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I thought that was pretty cool. A, what color did you do? You did red, didn't you? I did red. Yeah. Was- <laughs> I was. I think that's actually an illegal color to
0: use
1: in a logbook. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't
0: know if it's illegal, but oftentimes it sort of connotes uh, an incident in the military, and anyway, if you fill out. A red entry in the what was the five hundred that meant that you'd had an incident and you had to uh, report it. So whether okay. it was a technical thing, yeah, or whatever yeah. else. So.
2: Well, I figured at this point because my uh, my instructor's like, why are you doing it in a different color? I'm like, oh, because mm. it's a special thing. He's like. Righto <laughs> like, Well At least I'm super early In my aviation career That if I need to go And get a new logbook yeah. I've only got one page To read to. <laughs>
1: he, He's so. probably je- jealous Because he hadn't thought Of himself Yeah Yeah And yeah.
2: uh, no,
0: that was very uh, cool Actually uh, when I got your text With the self As I had to look at it And i What's he talking oh, se- oh self self Yeah like, so, That was pretty cool Actually I might If you're happy I might even put that yeah. on, uh, Online yeah. as well And what did the instructor Say to you like, Was there any sagely advice Look like, can you remember The last thing he said to you When he uh- uh,
2: He said He was going to check the fuel, and if he gave me the thumbs up, there was at least 15 minutes. So (laughs) that was a bit of a joke. So that was pretty cool. Awesome. It was all really good and got down and shook his hand, and it was just, Mm. yeah, it was a really cool flight. There was about, I think, just after my downwind checks, I just took Mm. two minutes, just – sorry, two minutes, two seconds. Yeah. Just really quickly to have a look around and just – taking the fact that I'm flying Mm -hmm. an airplane by myself. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. I just can't believe how poetic it ended up being just with all those kind of different things happening. I don't think you could ask for a better first solo. Uh Just going
1: back to that first solo back at Digger's Rest, Mm. when you think that they had reportedly high winds Mm. in a very frail aircraft Mm. that... He'd never even gone solo, never even flown before, as I understand it. Yeah. He had to work it all out.
0: That's right. He was. Yeah.
1: There was strong winds. You can imagine, with your background now, Luke, mm. that he actually went, took off into wind, mm. a very quick because he wasn't airborne mm. for very long. No, he He's wasn't. He's turned downwind. Yeah. Now we can imagine the massive difference yeah. with it, with that downwind, yeah. and then turn in onto mm. onto base and final. Put it back down. That massive change in the. Yeah
0: no airspeed indication yeah. so at least today if you turn down wind, you'll see the airspeed indicator yeah. drop yeah. and you'll be able to correct with a pitch attitude yeah. change but you can't do that with the wright brothers liar
1: it's, it's probably sinking it is, is yeah going around
0: yeah if you have a look at that and if, if you also look at houdini's wasson it's these massive bits of canvas that are actually holding the wing obviously form the wings but mm. then there's these Canvas verticals. Again, you think about a wind, weather cocking and that kind of thing, these things are like just white wa- you know, they're they're almost like Sailor. death traps. Yeah. <laughs> well again, because they haven't actually dealt yet with all the basics of controllability. So for instance, the Wasson only just had a rudder, but prior mm-hmm. to this version of it, they didn't even have a rudder. They figured we don't yeah. really need a rudder. Yeah. Um as you know, <laughs> rudder control. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so pretty much, yeah, I think it hit it spot on. Unfortunately we don't have brash. Uh, reports that we can go and have a close look at but mm. i reckon yeah anything to do with wind or anything slightly unexpected mm. those guys were learning to deal with as they went mm. and sometimes they didn't they didn't yeah. learn they actually crashed or yeah. had it probably an a good
1: idea that they they didn't have helmets in those days because it would have been well and truly on fire mm. <laughs> yeah.
2: mm.
0: so any final words about your first solo before
2: we finish up today um I oh, no really I don't think so Sam any something, words?
1: You'll, something you'll never forget yeah mm. well I
2: definitely won't because i got it on GoPro <laughs> <laughs> no but I know what you mean yeah. yeah I have mine on GoPro too how about yours Sam
1: it's <laughs> <No>. all <laughs> <Still> up here
0: <laughs> yeah no mine's my GoPro in my head that's about it yeah. but awesome thanks for sharing that with us Luke yeah thanks Sam
3: Cancel Sarwatch is the last radio call a pilot makes when a flight has landed safely. The SAR in Sarwatch is an acronym for Search and Rescue. When a pilot radios Cancel Sarwatch, they let air traffic services know they have landed safely and the Search and Rescue watch can be cancelled. If the flight has been flown safely and professionally, then the Cancel Sarwatch call must surely epitomise the spirit of aviation, because it will realistically represent the totality of a pilot's attitude, training, experience and wisdom and bringing the aircraft back home safely. Cancel Sarwatch, the call we hope every pilot makes, every flight, in the name of our podcast. Again, thanks for listening and don't forget to comment and rate us on iTunes and to visit us at www.cancelsarwatch.com where you'll find additional content to help you cancel StarWatch. We can also be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hit your Cancel StarWatch bookmark in about two weeks for our next episode.